0: This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, it's the most wonderful time of the year, at least if you believe all of the songs on the radio since October, since uh, uh, you know Halloween. They've been playing the Christmas music. Uh, we're just about to enter the the New Year, the liturgical New Year, as we tomorrow have the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent is one of those really interesting times because we think of Advent as as preparation for Christmas, uh, but really, uh, and as you read the various writings of the Church Fathers and even some of those in the medieval times, Advent is the preparation for the coming, for the incarnation of Christ. And of course, we have Uh, different times where christ arrives to us of course one of those that we're going to be preparing for in the second two weeks of advent is for that historic incarnation when christ uh, took on flesh became man took on our nature to reconcile us to the father that's one of the times where christ will come but these first two weeks of advent we really spend that time looking at the second coming of christ as you look at the readings that we address in um in the daily mass and in Sunday masses, it's all pointed towards the eschaton. How will we engage with Christ and how will Christ come to not just reconcile us, but to return us to the father in a, in a very um, precise and particular way. So, This is a a great opportunity for us to spend time as the church, as the people of God, reflecting on what it means for us to be in relationship with God in this particular way through adoption, through the work that Christ did. Uh, And we do part of that by looking back. We talked recently about how oftentimes we look back in order to move forward. And Advent and Lent are certainly some of those times where we do that. So Every year, we look at what is available to us. Of course, we start with the readings that the church gives us. We start with the things that history has given us uh, as we prepare for this season of Christmas, for the full celebration of the feast. But we're also on the lookout for what new ways, what new perspectives can we use as formation, uh, personal formation, as we prepare ourselves for the incarnation, for the celebration of Christmas. And this year, there is a beautiful new resource. Now, you know, I love to have authors come on and talk about their books, but every once in a while, there is an author that I just can't get. I'll tap it a couple of times, and i bring someone else on to talk about the book. Such is the case today, as we have a new book called Christmas at the Nativity by Pope Francis, whose schedule was unavailable to come and join me. So... We're going to be talking with Greg Metzger, who's the associate publisher at New City Press. It's part of Focolare Media, the communications arm of the Focolare movement. He's written for a variety of publications, including Christianity Today, Commonweal, and Christian Century. He lives just down the road from me uh, in Pasadena, California. There's only a couple of turns. It's just uh, on the other end of the road. Uh, Greg, it's so so good to have you here.
1: It it really is a joy. It's great to be with UTL. And yes, I'm I wouldn't say I'm second best to, to the Pope. <laughs> I'm pretty far out, but I'm really happy to get to talk about this with you.
0: Yeah. Now we've had a number of New City Press authors here on the show over the last nine years, including Mark Shea, Charlie Camosi, Father Aaron Westman here recently, Noreen Madden. Uh, And in addition to their modern authors, they also have some essential translations, including uh, the complete works, working almost done, the complete works of St. Augustine, some lovely first primary sources with St. Francis, which of course is, uh, is particularly of interest as he is the one who popularized the nativity scene. Uh, and then also, uh, really significant commentary on the rule of St. Benedict. Uh, you can find out more about all of those resources over at focal or if that's tricky to spell, you can always go to newcitypress.com. It'll take you to the same place. So we're talking first about this book and formation, and we'll continue later in the show talking about, um, formation in community, because that's something that the Focolare movement does very well. Let's start with the book. Um, This is a compilation of a number of meditations that Pope Francis has given over his pontificate, specifically on topics touching on Christmas, on the nativity, on um, those early days of Christ's incarnation. Yes. This was something that the the Vatican put out that y'all were able to partner with to bring here to the States. Talk to me a little bit about your impression, because of course, before you publish a book, you read the book. Uh, yeah. What has this, this book meant to you as you've gone through it?
1: Well, you know, we were, I really want to say we were so struck by the book when, when the Vatican asked us if we would like to be the English publisher for the book to just to look at obviously as Pope Francis, you want to you what you know, you want to do a book by Pope Francis. But when you when you really encounter this content, it was really, really special because as you said, it's the first time that this material has kind of been brought together in a book form. But his his devotion to the nativity and to St. Francis's um, kind of use of the nativity in evangelization has is very profound and so you you have this sense in this book of something that really comes from a place of real personal passion and devotion that Pope Francis has so there was it was uh, yeah genuinely it was it was kind of that spiritually electrifying to kind of open that up and start to read read this and the way that they arrange it is also really thoughtful because it's mm-hmm it lays out around the different characters of the nativity. Yeah. So you kind of are guided into different perspectives on encountering Christ in the manger. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, it has kind of been a, a way to encounter kind of Pope Francis's vision in, in kind of meditative language in language that is mm-hmm. very present um as we say, you know we're kind of down to very down-to-earth kind of style, um, more homiletical style. Um, and, and so that they kind of reached me. It reaches me in a different way. It reaches my imagination. Um, yeah There's a lot in the book around the around the smallness of God and the, and the call to humility, um, to in a sense, vulnerability. Um, tenderness, which is a theme, you know, as you know of Pope Francis in many ways. So that's been really uh, I, I guess challenging really, in that way, too, for me, um personally.
0: well, and I would say that Pope Francis style is really on display here. He's really on point. And as you mentioned, this is homiletic. A lot of the sources of these things come from Angelus or homilies or general audiences where he is, in his typical style, connecting directly to the person in front of him in a way that kind of unfolds their ability, opens and illuminates for their eyes this uh, maybe inscrutable thing right in front of them, right? So he's inviting them into uh, an event and a scenario in a very personal way. And of course, by extension, as we pick up the Mm. book- as we're preparing for, for Christmas, for the incarnation, he is also inviting us into these same things and into the same uh, process of meditating on these key figures of, of the nativity scene, right. of Jesus, of the shepherds and Joseph and of the city of Bethlehem and of, uh, you know, the, the magi and giving us multiple kind of nuggets to think on throughout our day it's and of course none of these are terribly long reads and so it's a wonderful thing to just grab a hold of and just sit with throughout your day as you go
1: yeah and to say they're very some of the passages are really suggestive so they're 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 short but they're kind of in that way that expands your mind to kind of think a new way for instance his stuff on the magi he's got these kind of five points you know about what they're searching or in the nature of that search is it, it really preaches, you know, it's definitely rich, rich in that way. Um, but then like you said, there's also that, you know, Pope Francis, um, has always had this affection for that painting, you know, the calling of St. Matthew, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of personal encounter, you know, and, and you really find that call in the book and then also there's obviously, then there's this St. Francis element too. Yeah, Obviously he, he, he takes on Pope Francis, um, as his calling, as his, as his name. And you really find this kind of going back to Francis, to St. Francis and to his vision of the nativity is another subtext through the book, um, so it's not just, I mean, it's, it's coming out. The Vatican wanted it to come out this year because of the 800th anniversary of yep. St. Francis's first nativity. But it's more than just a historical sense. There's also that sense of him kind of consciously, in particularly some of the sections of the book, consciously calling on that Franciscan heritage um, as a way of renewal for mm-hmm. individuals and for communities of faith. Um, and And the introduction that he wrote you know, f- specifically for this book is very much that about his own, his own pilgrimages to, um, to the nativity, mm-hmm. uh, of St. Francis. So it's really, it's, it's a really special book. It's, it's a really, we're really, really pleased to be able to be bringing it to people.
0: I had the the privilege just a couple of months ago, or maybe just last month of going to, um, to Assisi which was up the road from the place where the first nativity was but but of course even in the um, in the frescoes around the basilica there uh, they have depictions of this first nativity is uh, and as Francis Saint Francis is giving to the people who he's speaking to he's giving to them an image of of God's littleness uh, approachability uh, you know when we were over in in Italy Um, I took my wife and our infant with us, the youngest of our children and the, the Italian people, um, we, we were told that, you know, if you look at someone and you smile at them, that that's the surefire way that everyone knows that you're American. So we were very conscious that, you know, you don't, you don't just look over at someone and smile and wave, but man, with that child, with that baby with us, every single Italian was like Glued to us, looking at the baby and making eyes at the baby and smiling and everything else. And, and I, and I see in that, yeah, going back 800 years. Yes. Francis saying to the people, Hey, this, this attitude that you have, this joy that you have towards infants, this is the joy that you should have towards Christ. Because yes, we're going to get to the cross, right? That's going to come. That's part of the story, but also the littleness is part of the story. And I grew up, um, even in the Protestant world that I grew up in, we had the nativity scene that we put out every year. Um, it wasn't very big, but there was there was a practice of putting out a little nativity scene. But man, yeah. in Italy, they do it up. They've got massive nativity scenes, and many of them are handmade, and they have this, this energy that goes into it because 800 years ago. Yes. Francis, St. Francis came up with the idea that we were going to engage with the idea of the incarnation in its littleness as a way for us to grasp the majesty of the incarnation.
1: Yes. And this, and this book is a great call to, to come back to something that's right in front of us, which is the power of the manger scene in our homes, in our offices. Um, it's a, it's a really, It's a really daring thing in the sense of he's saying, you know, this, this simple thing that we think of is actually the reason we're doing it is because it has such great power Mm -hmm. and, and you're right in Italian culture really is really, really woven in. Um, In fact, as we were titling the book, we kind of, you know, do we just call it the nativity? We, we ended up going with Christmas at the nativity because this kind of this sense that you, as you're saying. That in American culture, throughout the Christian um, traditions, there is this practice. I grew up in a church that was very uh, did not have a lot of, if any, art in the in the churches and this type of thing. But our family, I, I'm actually honored. I'm this. I'm the child that got the manger from oh. that we grew up with that manger is still with us. It's a special thing. We made it, we put it up every year. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's really a sense in which she's drawing on something that and St. Francis was drawing on something and, and building a tradition that's so primordial, that's so, um, tangible touches, touches children, but also touches adults' hearts in that call, as you're saying, to become like a child again, to know Christ. Um, and so this is, this is kind of a, a reproposing really of this tradition and of this excitement about the tradition that he's giving us. Um, and I do think, I do think it does translate to here. Sure. And you're right in Italy. It's, it's like, boom, yeah. right there. I've, I've seen, I have Italian colleagues, you know, and, and they'll show me the photos of their, <laughs> the ones that they grew up with in their home. And there's a much more intric- intricacies than our mm-hmm. major scenes here. Um, but yeah this this part of our imagination of the manger scene uh and i so i love i love the way that he draws on that and kind of invites us mm-hmm. into that both as we're going through advent season and then as a way of kind of soaking in in the christmas season yeah this this reality of christ among us
0: one of the things i think that this book offers to us here in the united states is maybe we you know we've we've got the practice we have a couple of uh, nativity scenes maybe a nice big one for the the main room of the house and maybe another little tiny one that the kids play with um this gives us the opportunity to invest our imagination in those those nativity scenes to a greater degree because you know they're beautiful and we look at them and we spend a little time but to actually now every time we enter the room and we see the shepherds we think back on these uh, multiple readings, these multiple little meditations giving us different pictures of different ideas of uh, of what the shepherds went through, of what the, the magi went through. And I think in a similar way to how we pray the rosary, that these 10 beads aren't just 10 beads, they have depth of mystery behind them. And the more we pray them and the more we meditate on them, the more, the more we have a deeper appreciation and understanding of those mysteries. I think this book is going to help us do the same thing with our nativity scenes, because now we're not just looking at the beautiful statue of Mary and, and the child Jesus and Joseph. We're hearing all of these stories and having new ways and new memories and new meditations to attach to them so that they now serve not as placeholders, but as, uh, as instigators and catalysts for meditation. And, and remembering those yeah, things. Yeah, they're
1: like an icon. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Like an icon in, a window in, you know, and I think it's going to, I think the, the parents, you know, are going to feel a real encouragement and renewal. that like this is worth it. Like doing and doing it thoughtfully with your children is worth it. These aren't going to be readings that you're going to read to your, you know, to your seven-year-old, but it's going to encourage you to do this practice for the sake of your seven-year-old. But there's the, that they're, like you said, it's not just, it's not just another decoration, it's really something that also gives your family a possibility of a direction. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of places we'll go over this Christmas season, right? And, and, and and this book isn't a Jeremiah against those other things, but it's saying if Christmas isn't at the nativity, you know, if it doesn't end at the nativity, if it's not, if its direction isn't towards the nativity, then we're then we're really missing something. And so, this is a gift, really, I think, of Pope Francis to help us uh, be renewed in this season.
0: You make me laugh a little bit here because as you talk about it, giving us a direction, uh, the first thought that popped into my uh, my brain was, this is kind of like a Catholic elf on a shelf, right? We have this thing. <laughs> That's visible, that's in front of us, that kind of directs our attentions and our energies for the Christmas season. But in, instead of kind of blackmailing our children with uh, this little elf is going to tattle the Santa about you. Rather, we can point to the child Jesus and say, look at look at this thing. This is the real reason we celebrate.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really special tradition. Um, and, and it's interesting, he's got a beautiful thing. He's got a beautiful section on Bethlehem. You know, and the idea of it as, uh, the house, the house of bread, you know, which is literally I think how it translates, you know? And so this beautiful meditation on, on the Eucharist, um, which also harkens back to the, the stories of the first nativity with St. Francis where the Eucharist was, uh, celebrated over that scene. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, this is, this is, this is capturing the the catholic imagination you know in a really beautiful way i think that people will will feel uh renewed in in that sense of connection to their faith um and to the to the tradition of the faith in a really in a really special way
0: so we're talking about this this book again the book is uh, Christmas at the nativity by pope francis available on new city press newcitypress.com um Greg, we're talking about this as a form of formation, of Christmas formation, helping us each individually and as a family prepare for the coming of Christ that we celebrate first at Christmas and then, of course, as we anticipate here in the eschaton. Um, I'm curious, in your own process, as you were reading this book in preparation for publishing it, what is a maybe a key moment in there that struck you in such a way that it has now formed the way you're going to be thinking about Christmas moving forward.
1: Mm. Well, honestly, I, I ordered last night a, a nativity scene for our front yard. One of those silhouetted ones, because I really felt by my imagination and, and kind of his call, he's like, look, let's, let's bring this out again. You know, this is a, this is a bridge point to our culture that we should, that we should, uh, realize is there, you know, for us. Mm-hmm. And so we've always had the manger in the house. Um, and we've always done some sort of decorations outside the house, but we have, we have never brought the manger scene to publicly that way. Um, mm-hmm. okay. Part of it was cause some of this stuff is a little tacky. Okay. But that's a bad excuse, <laughs> you know? Um, I love these silhouetted ones. And so we, we ordered that together as a family. We're going to have that out together. And I think I'm anticipating it as a, as a conversation point with people. Um, and so I think for me, it's that sense of the good news is good news, you know, um, that, that he's really coming in this with and and for me to be called to to really feel like I'm doing something that's in communion with Saint Francis with this practice of him um is for me enlivening uh and and I think is helping to take shape for um for my advent, but in another way too, is that sense that you you know this is always so close to Pope Francis you know is to always be. Conscious of the poor among us and and mm-hmm. those that are um, you know that are in some way on the margin of our celebrations and and so he weaves that into this book again, not in a not in a kind of Jeremiah way, but really as a in a Christian way of a sense of invitation um, and participation that if we're mm-hmm. participating in Christ coming, um, to the world, we're also participating in opening that up to others. And in that way, really that deeper level, opening ourselves up to others, um, and to encounter. So I think it's also been that kind of uh, challenge for me as well. Yeah. But I think I love, I love what you're saying about how these practices are a part of our, of our formation you know, uh, that, that sets a direction for our lives. Mm -hmm. I did not grow up. We did. I did not grow up in a tradition that really consciously practiced Advent or Lent. And so for me, those traditions, when I was first coming into communion in the Catholic church, they took on great meaning. I, I always felt like every Advent when it came, I thought, Oh, I need it right now how did, how did the church know, you know, this, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think in, in the last few years, I've kind of, that's faded a little bit for me. Um, and I think for this, for me, this year is kind of a recapturing of that, of that joy of the season.
0: You you talked a little bit there about, um, the, the, the option for the poor and keeping the poor in mind specifically, Both the, the, the focus of both Pope Francis and of Saint Francis, uh, and I think that the Nativity, if we if we spend the time meditating on it, helps us do that in a particular way, because Christ in that moment was was there without any of the trappings of of wealth. Right, he was born in poverty, um, and. With some of the very first people who would come to him were the hired help, right? The, the shepherds, those who were out in the field yeah. for someone else. Um, and, and so there is this sense of, uh, yes, you're going to get the Magi. They come at some point, but the poor come first and they were able to come and be in that lowliness of the stable in that lowliness of the nativity. Uh, they're the first ones invited in to worship this newborn King, this Messiah. And I think that sometimes we, we have the nativity out, but we forget the, the lowliness of that because it's in this nice glossy statue or this, this beautiful carving. We forget the, the, um, the, I don't have a better word than the lowliness of that moment. Yeah. Um, And, and our songs are so sweet and they, cover up with the beauty of their melodies. They cover up the uncertainty that may have been felt as they're trying to find a place. uh, And the place is crowded. There's no place for them to be. They they are on the outs uh, and on the margins. And we often forget that. And this book and Putting Up the Nativity is a great way to recapture some of those things as we enter in very soon uh, to the Advent and Christmas season. Again, the book is Christmas at the Nativity. It's available on New City Press. It's over at newcitypress.com. And Greg, as we head towards the break, we've got just a couple of seconds left. I wonder if you might leave us with some passage from the book that will help us to get an understanding for how this book can help us form ourselves and prepare this Advent for the celebration of Christmas.
1: Mm. Well, you know, maybe this is just the the words from Pope Francis at the end of his introduction. I am sure that the first nativity scene, which accomplished a great work of evangelization, can also be an occasion today to summon forth awe and wonder. Thus, what the simplicity of that sign made St. Francis realize persists down to our own days as a genuine form of the beauty of our faith. Uh, I think I think that really captures it all there.
0: Yeah. Again that book is Christmas at the Nativity by Pope Francis available on New City Press. That's newcitypress.com. We're talking today with Greg Metzger an associate publisher at New City Press which is part of Focolare Media, the communications arm of the Focolare movement. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation specifically about how we can form ourselves, not only individually, but also in community. Come be a part of the ongoing conversation over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on threads. The handle is at step outside the walls and don't go anywhere. We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to outside the walls with Tia. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, DL. We're talking today about uh, a book. The book is called Christmas at the Nativity. It's written by Pope Francis, and no, he is not the author I have on today. Don't I wish, but I don't speak Italian or Spanish good enough to pull that off. Uh, but I do have a translation of that book. It's available on New City Press We've talked with a number of their authors and they've got some fantastic resources. You can get this book and a number of others over at newcitypress.com. It's part of the Focolare movement, which we're going to talk about here in just a moment, because as we're talking about this book, Christmas at the Nativity, we're talking about forming ourselves for the Christian life, forming ourselves to celebrate the incarnation. But this is just one step in what should be an ongoing formation of ourselves as we are continually moving towards holiness, in preparation for complete and utter union with God at the the uh, at the resurrection. So, one of the things that we've been speaking about here with Greg Metzger, the associate publisher at New City Press, is using this book as formation for the family, the individual, and for the family. Uh, but also, we do this as a formation as a community. Now you could do that in a couple of ways. You could form yourself in a group, get a few people from your parish together and read this book together and then talk about it and explore the ideas that are churned up in the process of reading it. But also anytime that you are growing deeper in your faith and you put yourself in community, you're forming the community, right? We even if you don't feel like that's making a big difference actively, the fact that you are part of that community and hopefully engaging with that community means that you are being formed together. Um, and I think back to, there's this practice that we had in the Diocese of Tulsa um, that I haven't seen everywhere I've gone, but a beautiful thing on Midnight Mass is that before communion, or maybe, maybe this is after communion, I'm trying to remember now, it's been a while. Um, there was an adoration of the Child Jesus, just like on Good Friday, you would go up and you would adore the cross. I think it was after after communion, there was the opportunity to go up and the child Jesus would be brought out of the manger, and you had the opportunity to reference the child, the statue of the child Jesus. Um, and I haven't seen that anywhere, but it was such a beautiful and powerful thing uh, in Tulsa, and I think I've also got to experience that in um, Diocese of Colorado Springs. Where there was just this opportunity, after you have been um, after after you've communed, after you've received Christ into you, to come and see Christ and meditate on Christ and remind yourself once more face to face, eye to eye, that 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 Christ came as an infant and as a child. Uh, Maybe your church doesn't do that, but if you go to midnight mass or you go to a Christmas mass even if they don't have the big line of people doing that, you have the opportunity as a family, as yourself and and part of this community to go over and spend time at the nativity. Cause most, I, I yes. don't know that I've been to a church on Christmas that didn't have some sort of nativity somewhere in the building.
1: Yeah. And really it's, you know, that sense of it being the feast of the nativity, you know, that this is really this moment mm-hmm. and that, and that Jesus in most churches that the manger, you know, will remain empty until that night. Um, in fact, I was on with yeah. Cardinal Dolan, um, and it's his to talk with him about the book. And he was saying, uh, that he loves, I guess at, at the cathedral there, they actually keep the manger empty throughout the year. They're like, there's a place within the cathedral where the manger remains, but empty. Uh, so it's not just during the the Advent season that the obviously the whole entire manger is just during Advent, but but the idea of the of the of the crib is kind of a place of of encounter is kind of kept alive throughout the liturgical year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we we I, I know what you mean about it. I don't think I've been at a parish that did that particularly, but there was always a sense in which as communion was ending, that this was a moment of, of an invitation to adoration mm-hmm. of the Christ child. It's a beautiful tradition.
0: Now, as we're talking about this formation, um, formation is is an ongoing process. This is an opportunity for us to form for, for the incarnation and for Christmas. But uh, I want to turn our attention away from the book for just a moment the book, again, is Christmas of sure. Nativity at New City Press. But New City Press is part of the communications arm of the Focolare movement. Uh, I, and this movement, like many other movements and associations of the faithful in the church, is a particular way of living in community and forming uh, that that portion of the Christian community for Christian living. Um, I wonder if you, for those who have never heard of Focalari, if you could give us kind of a brief picture of sure. what the movement is, how it started, and then we'll move towards how the members of the community form themselves together today.
1: Sure. And really, there's a real, I think there's a real weaving of all of those, of all of those elements that kind of come out of one particular, you know, key element of the story of the beginning of the Focolare movement. So the the founder of the Focolare movement is a woman, Italian woman named Chiara Lubick, who was born in Italy and kind of came of age during World War II. And so the origins of the movement are really during the bombing of Trent during World War II. She was a young woman during that time, living that time, going to the bomb, you know, going to the shelter. During the bombing. And in that space came this, the beginnings of what is a tradition that now Focalari people, regardless of their vocation in the movement, practice to this day. And that was she, she and the this was before was the Focalari movement. You know, this was just, this was just her and some of her friends living the gospel. They would take a word from the gospel, and they would say, today, we don't know how long we will have, we don't know if we will make it beyond this day, but today, how can we live this word of scripture? And so this practice of taking, so this is a really a key, you talk about like you, like you were saying, each, each charism has a kind of gift. Really one of the real gifts of the focalari is this idea of living the present moment, mm-hmm. living the gospel in the now, because this is where it began <laughs> like who knew if there would be a, a next day, a next week And so this idea of living the gospel now, and so they would take a word, they'd take a scripture, a verse, and try to live it to the full that day. And this practice is now a part of the movement. it's called it, it's now called it's called the word of life. And so each month it, it's a monthly practice now. so each month, there's a scripture that's chosen and it's and then there's some reflections written on it that are translated you know for people around the world and then in small communities small group gatherings of word of life communities so i'm a part of one of these in in the pasadena area and we gather with this scripture and we try to live that scripture that that coming month and then we when we meet together we talk about how how did we live it that month? What what were moments of encounter that we were enriched by? And then we look at this coming months together and think together of how we might how it might impact us. And so this grounding in kind of living living the scripture now, living the gospel in everyday life. That's a real formative, like you say, a formation piece mm-hmm. of how the area tries to live its charism. In in today's world, and it's really it's it's a really neat it's a really neat practice, and it's also something again you and I both you know didn't grow up Catholic. It's the kind of thing that that Protestants would gravitate yeah. to as well, um, in the sense of living living the Scripture.
0: Well, what is so beautiful about this? And you you mentioned that she was at a time where you know they could have been bombed the next day, and they didn't know. There is all kinds of ways that a person can respond to that kind of uncertainty right? Um, just kind of muddling your way through or trying to keep your head down or, or whatever the case may be. Uh, but for her, and, and she invites us now to do this as well, it was this sense of, well, if I'm going to be gone tomorrow, I want to make sure I do today right. Uh, and focusing on Scripture as that, that central kind of anchor the, and, and lens to a certain extent. Because when you take that word when you pass around the the scripture passage you're saying something in your day is going to resonate with this and now you have to find it and so you're looking at everything in your whole day according to that specific word and basically you put your antenna up inviting the holy spirit to say hey this is what i've got today how do you want to use this in me and then at the end of that day, or the end of that month, however that works out, you're coming back as community and saying, "Okay, this is what I picked up on my antenna. What did you pick up on yours?" And through just the conversation, if if you're if you're sitting here going, "How do I form myself as a community?" Formation comes through conversation. Conversion comes through conversation. Right? If we want to have a little bit more of a, a rhyming structure there, right? Uh, through that open conversation sharing of ideas, even if those start with differences of opinions, well, I heard this, well, I heard this, um, through that open conversation, you are allowing yourself to be shaped and formed and, uh, and amazed and filled with awe at the way that God worked in the people around you. And you're giving them the opportunity to be formed and filled with awe at the ways that God spoke to you through that. And that conversation lifts us all up yeah. and forms us all as we seek to live out a Christian life.
1: Yeah, we carry we carry each other, you know. Some of those some of those months it it may be like you said hearing that word of how it, what it was for someone else, that testimony of the of the Holy Spirit at work today can then lift up that person who was barely making it through that month, you know. And and so there's this real uh, kind of strengthening, you know, of the faithful that comes from just just that practice of sharing our commitment, sharing how we've lived, and I love that. I love it as a word of life, you know, that scripture mm-hmm. is is life giving, and that and that as we share that journey with each other, we share that life. We give that life to each other. So that's been a really that, that's been one of the main ways for me. Like I, I'm still fairly new mm-hmm. to the movement. That's really been one of the main ways, uh, if not the main way that I kind of practice and, and, and live in this community, the focal yeah. RA.
0: And I think back to like, I'm, I love biblical studies. I, I hang around biblical scholars all the time. And as you pull out a book and you, you read it, there is a definitive, Uh, thing that the author was communicating to his audience, right? You can kind of parse that meaning out. You can look through it and you can see uh, listening to the magisterium of the church, here is the authentic way that this passage is interpreted. Um, But at the same time, there is also what's often the, the Greek word for it is rhema. There's this word for the moment that that yes, this author was writing to this audience and is communicating this thing, but through that, God is saying this to me in this moment, which typically is not going to be opposed to what that original meaning was, but it's going to create a moment of meaning and connection between you and the Spirit, between you and God, that that may not have been part of that original meaning, but neither is it antithetical to the way that the church reads Scripture right and that's an opportunity for scripture to be a continually living document at the moment as we meditate on it and allow it to speak into our lives
1: yeah yeah that sense, yeah a living tradition that we are embodying now that we are called to carry forth mm-hmm. in communion with the tradition um, yes. that's gone before us but living it in in this now Yeah, she has this beautiful, there's this powerful passage that she had, that Kiara has when she tells the story back of the bombing, you know, and she says, she says, we looked around at all the ruins and asked ourselves, is there anything that does not pass away? Any reality that no bombs can destroy? And as though someone had enlightened us from within, we answered, yes, there is such a reality. It is God. God endures forever. And so driven by a supernatural force, we decided to make God the ideal of our lives, you know? And so out of this comes this, mm-hmm. this vision of God, living God into, into our world. Um, it's a beautiful origin story that, that has such a practical kind of connection through this word of life practice. It's a real joy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, if someone wanted to read more about Chiara and the foundations of the Focolare movement, they could go over to newcitypress.com. You've got a number of works by her and about her that they can pick up there. But if someone wanted to become uh, a part of Focolare or learn more about Focolare itself as a movement, uh, how would they get connected?
1: A great way is through these word of life groups, um, which is if you go to if you just were to Google Focalare Word of Life, you'll find immediately there are links to the monthly Word of Life and also through uh focalare.org, through there where you can kind of find out and and uh, enter information to be connected to communities in your where you live and can and can connect with people that are trying to practice and live this word of life. Um so that's that's really I think the the one of the main entry points for people is through these word of life groups. And then like you said, we also have through the follicular media, we do reflection points on the word of life as well. So you'll find when you google that that there's a word of life podcast in which we read we read this we read that passage and reflection in the podcast. And then there's another episode where, uh, in this case right now, a priest shares his reflection on that word of life and how we can live it. And then we also have a sharing of experiences. So there's a podcast that's just about the experiences people are having in in living out the word of life. So probably the word of life is a great entry point. The other thing I would encourage people, we actually just brought this book Kind of back into print is a, is a little book called "May They All Be One." May They All Be One." And it's Kiara's in real storytelling language, um, a very short book that really gives what we say the origins and life of the folklore movement, you get a sense of how it began and and what some of the basic practices are of it come out in that in that little book, "May They All Be One."
0: We're going to put links to all of these things over on our social media, facebook.com/slash step outside the walls on threads. The handles at step outside the walls. We've been talking today with Greg Metzger, associate publisher at New City Press, which is part of the Focalari movement. Uh, we're talking about the book specifically, the new book by Pope Francis, Christmas at the Nativity, which you can get at NewcityPress.com. Greg, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today.
1: Thank you. It's a real joy. Great to be with you, TL. If you
0: missed any part of my conversation with Greg Metzger or you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And while you're there, look into our Patreon page just there in the menu bar. Click the Patreon link. Our Patreon supporters help keep us on the air. And in gratitude, we give them extra segments each and every week. Uh, you can go through and look at some of those that have now become available to the general public. They They become available after about six months. And then consider being a part of that community that gets early access to all of those extra segments. Now, let's turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching by putting the magisterium at your fingertips, linking Scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, and so much more. You can learn more at verbum.com. Our reading today from Scripture comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together. The little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for all the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. That reading again comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 11. We read a lot out of the book of the prophet Isaiah during the season of Advent, because this is where we get a number of the prophecies about Jesus. And one of the things that that I want to point to today of course we're talking about Christ in his humility, Christ coming as an infant and and we see some of that here as we talk about the 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 bud, the shoot out of the stump of Jesse. Of course Jesse being uh the father of King David, coming all the way down through the lineage of David, we have Jesus as this small shoot, this this budding new life and putting that in kind of in the context of of nascent life, of of the infancy that we're coming around to in Jesus, and then of course the little child shall lead them. We have these pictures of of vulnerability and of lowliness, uh, and and that being the thing that leads us to what is exalted. The other thing that that I want to point out here is we are the recipients of now this this prophecy and this promise, and the result of Christ coming, the result of this this branch from the stump of Jesse is the reversal of enmity. These two things uh, that, that, that are juxtaposed against one another that, that seem unthinkable, right? That the bear and the cow shall graze together. These things that are by nature at enmity with one another by the work of Christ, by the fulfillment of this prophecy, that enmity is removed. The danger is removed and so too, we who are the recipients of this promise ought to enter into places where we might otherwise think of divisions and enmity and rather see the um, the reconciliation of those things, that now there is coexistence because of what Christ has done. And so we ought to be able to, with more confidence and and less fear, enter into some of those places that that might On first glance, be things that we would otherwise avoid. Today's reading from church history comes from a beautiful passage by St. Gregory of Nazianzen. The very Son of God, older than the ages, the invisible, the incomprehensible, the incorporeal, the beginning of beginning, the light of light, the fountain of life and immortality, the image of the archetype, the immovable seal the perfect likeness, the definition and word of the Father. He it is who comes to his own image and takes our nature for the good of our nature and unites himself to an intelligent soul for the good of my soul, to purify like by like. He takes to himself all that is human except for sin, He was conceived by the Virgin Mary, who had been first prepared in soul and body by the Spirit. His coming to birth had to be treated with honor. Virginity had to receive new honor. He comes forth as God in the human nature he has taken, one being made of two contrary elements, flesh and spirit. Spirit gave divinity, flesh received it. He who makes rich is made poor. He takes on the poverty of my flesh that I may gain the riches of his divinity. He who is full is made empty. He is emptied for a brief space of his glory that I may share in his fullness. What is this wealth of goodness? What is this mystery that surrounds me? I received the likeness of God but failed to keep it. He takes on my flesh to bring salvation to the image, immortality to the flesh. He enters into a second union with us, a union far more wonderful than the first. Holiness had to be brought to man by the humanity assumed by one who was God so that God might overcome the tyrant by force and so deliver us and lead us back to himself through the mediation of his Son. The Son arranged this for the honor of the Father, to whom the Son is clearly obedient in all things. The Good Shepherd, who lays down his life for the sheep, came in search of the straying sheep to the mountains and the hills on which he used to offer sacrifice. When he found it, He took it on the shoulders that bore the wood of the cross and led it back to the life of heaven. Christ, the light of all lights, follows John the lamp that goes before him. The word of God follows the voice in the wilderness. The bridegroom follows the bridegroom's friend who prepares a worthy people for the Lord by cleansing them by water and preparation for the Spirit. We need God to take our flesh and die, that we might live. We have died with him, that we may be purified. We have risen again with him, because we have died with him. We have been glorified with him, because we have risen again with him. That reading, again, comes from a sermon by St. Gregory of Nazianzen. And I love this style of writing, because it juxtaposes God's majesty and grandeur with the lowliness that he took on and puts it in that perspective that he takes on lowliness for the purpose of meeting us in our lowliness and raising us up to his glory. So as we focus on the incarnation, as we focus on the nativity, let us remember what the nativity was for. It's for the purpose of bringing us back reconciling us to the Father, meeting us in loneliness, that God becomes Emmanuel, God with us. That's all the time we have today. Today's show is brought to you by Lexi and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.